We've got all kinds of faithful servants up there. Mark and Junior up there. Great. All right, just keep them up. They'll get it to you. And then, as you get your worship guide, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. <clears throat> Daniel is right after Ezekiel and right before Hosea. Not a super large book in the Bible, but sometimes it helps to know it's right after Ezekiel because that's a pretty big book. Book of Daniel. Last week, I started a little mini-series. I decided to go two weeks. Great season in our country, an election season, and also an opportunity to to talk about some things that are very important to our nation, to our church. And I think Scripture says a lot about uh, national crises. Um, I was thankful we sang that song a moment ago that said that, that, I think it was the first song we sang about Amazing Grace where... You know, Christ rules the nations with truth, truth and justice. Christ is above all of this. He's sovereign in our lives and sovereign over the nations. And I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> I also believe we have a responsibility to vote. I'm grateful for that. And we all need to vote. But we also need to be reminded in the midst of all of that and Fox News or CNN or whatever you're watching, whatever's got your focus right now as we're all tuned into this, We need to be reminded more than ever there's something much more important that we need to be tuned into. And so with that said, I want to remind you about last week's message as we discussed Nehemiah and the crisis that Jerusalem was in. The Bible spoke of the walls broken down, the gates burned with fire, trash in the streets, and Nehemiah was brokenhearted over this. And the Bible, and we, we, we kind of took the thoughts of his visualizing the problem and and then agonizing in prayer, and then all organizing a plan, and we took those three thoughts and put meat to it and scripture to it, and we attempted to draw some attention to the problems in our, in our country, but also the hope that's in Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, I want to talk not about Nehemiah, but another great prophet in the Bible, the prophet Daniel. And I want to draw your attention to the national crisis that he was in. And I want you to see what Daniel did. It was much like what Nehemiah did. In addition to that, I want to call our church to prayer. Serious prayer. And I believe over the next 30, 35 minutes, it is my responsibility to to try to touch your heart through this message. To bring us all to a place where maybe we haven't been for a while, and that is on our knees before God in a spirit of repentance. What is that? What does it look like? What will it cost us? And what difference will it make? Well, I know we have a responsibility as a church to to do that. And I want to show you in Scripture how important it is. And so join with me, if you would, please. Daniel chapter number 9. The prophet Daniel had prayed here in a time of great national calamity. And God heard his prayer. It says here in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Daniel had been reading the Bible. And so he hears about the word that came to Jeremiah. 
that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. In just a moment, we're going to read a few verses, but I, I want to draw your attention to, to something that, Nehemiah, that, that rather Daniel turned his, his attention to. He turned his face to God. And I'm convinced that, ladies and gentlemen, the hour is desperate. And our nation is in crisis. And it is time to wake up and be called to something very serious. And it's called prayer. Because only I believe that believing, repenting prayer can hold back the flood tides of judgment and sin. It's going to be eventually released by God. But we can experience his cleansing power and forgiveness of sin on our nation. And I believe that with all of my heart. So I bring this message. I want to call you to prayer. And I want to help you learn how to pray. Not ordinary prayer, but extraordinary prayer. And so let's go to the passage of Scripture here and get get into the message. Number one. The first thing I want to call your attention to is this. We are to pray, first of all, with serious concentration. The reason I say serious concentration is because there are so many distractions in our lives today, so many things. In fact, it's, it's hard for us to imagine sitting down even in a, in a message like this and, and, and paying attention for 35 or 40 minutes. I mean, serious concentration. Verse 3 is what Daniel did. Notice it says here that he set his face. I want you to circle that word set. He set his face. Unto the Lord God. To seek. I want you to circle that word seek. By prayer and supplication with. And I want you to finally circle that word. That dreaded word. That scary word. Fasting. You know when you fast. You know it's getting serious. When God's people go without food or pleasure. You know it must be something serious. And so Daniel Daniel here says that I'm setting my face. I'm seeking God in prayer. And I'm even willing to fast. Have you ever done that? Have you ever set your face to pray? Have you ever desperately really sought the Lord? Sometimes I wonder if we don't really understand when we say prayer what we're talking about because it's not the arithmetic of your prayers. It's not how many prayers you pray. Oftentimes we think that's what it is. How many times we can pray. It's not the rhetoric of your prayers. In other words, it's not how eloquent and how beautiful you pray. Some people don't pray because they feel like they just don't know enough big words. I've, I've actually asked people to pray. Oh, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not a good prayer. Because we're convinced it's the rhetoric, it's the words, it's, it's how we can impress people with our voice and our deep voice and serious words. It's not the geometry of your prayers. It's not how long your prayer is. It's not the emotion of your prayer, how sweet and how juicy it is. It is the faith of your prayer. It is the fervency of your prayer that gets a hold of God. So I say we're called the serious concentration that we stop playing around and start praying. It's time. It's time that we understand that we have witnessed too long without tears and we have prayed too long without fasting and it's no, no wonder that we are sowing without reaping. 
Now, verse 3, again, says this word fasting. And it's a word that I want to draw your attention to, fasting and prayer. Because serious prayer is something that calls for a consideration to fast. So, so what is fasting? Well, first of all, it's Old Testament, it's New Testament, it's all throughout Scripture. Here is what the one you worshipped said about fasting. Today we worshipped Jesus. And he said this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. In his own words, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites do. You see, they love to pray on the street corner, standing around, and they pray on the street corner because they want to be seen of men. Now, now make it clear, they do that and, and they have their reward. Jesus then went on to say in Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 16, moreover, when you fast... Pray and fast. When you fast, he said, don't be like the hypocrites are. Sad in their countenance. Woe is me. I'm starving. This is so hard. They disfigure their faces. That they appear to men. We just remember they have their reward. So there is a way to pray. There is a way to fast that doesn't please God. There is a prayer to God that is not pleasing to God. There is a way to fast and discipline yourself to not eat or to not enjoy some kind of pleasure that... Jesus says is not pleasing to him. So I believe we know very little about fasting. Someone has said that we've gone from the upper room with its fire to the supper room with its smoke. Appropriate statement. I'm all for church fellowships and I'm all for suppers. And if anybody knows me, I love to eat. Rosemary already said that preachers and chicken are pretty much tied together. Food's a wonderful thing. So what is fasting? Well, just to be clear, fasting is simply put, it's going without food or other pleasure for a spiritual purpose. We have to determine, is, is there a spiritual purpose? Is there something in my life? Is there, is there, is there a reason? Is there a purpose? Is there something that, that has raised my concern to such seriousness that I would, I would fast for a period of time? For spiritual concern, for spiritual purpose. Scripture often speaks of fasting and it says these words, watch and fast or pray and fast or worship and fast. But what is our motivation? We don't want to be like these Pharisees. We don't want to be like these hypocrites are. We don't want to pray with exhibitionism to be seen of men or with ritualism like the tax collector to boast about it, to tell everybody about it. We don't want to uh, pray and fast with egotism to be stirred up with pride. So we come to this verse in Zechariah. It's chapter number 7 and verse number 5 where it says, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priest and say this, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even though 70 years, here's the question, did you fast to me? God says, did you do it for me? Did you do it for my sake? So the why of prayer and fasting is very important. God wants to know, why did you do that? We we must fast unto the Lord. And for His sake. And what does fasting do? Well, there's several things fasting does. And we're going to move through this list pretty quickly. But I I want you to see it because it's encouraging. I want you to know that if you decide to skip a meal or to skip... Uh, or to take tomorrow and pray and fast, and I'll give you some, some more information about that. But if you decide to do that, I want you to know what it does. Number one, fasting strengthens your prayer. It strengthens your prayer. 
I'm going to give you a couple of verses on the screen. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12, it says this. Just Bible information there for you to have. Therefore also now saith the Lord. And any time I come across a passage of Scripture that says, saith the Lord, man, I sit up and I want to know, this is God speaking. This is not the pastor just interjecting his thoughts and opinions. This is the word of the Lord. Turn ye even to me with all your heart. God's not interested. We've talked about this. He's not interested in half-heartedness. He's not interested in us offering him something that is not serious. People like to say we're all in. I wonder how many of us are really all in. Jesus says, with all your heart and, you see, when you're in, you fast. And with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. God associates someone who is all in with someone who fasts and mourns and weeps. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says, seek me and find me, and when you search for me with all your heart. Notice again the emphasis, all your heart. We've said this often, but when we fast, we are giving heaven notice that we mean business. We're serious about this thing. Number two, fasting and prayer subdues self. Fasting and prayer subdues self because we don't know how to say no to ourselves. Some are a slave to that refrigerator. It's so hard to think or to imagine going without something, going without a pleasure, going without a meal. And I'm speaking about myself. Not for one minute do I stand as the Pharisee or the hypocrite on the street corner or the corner of this platform and say, look at me, look at, I'm all, no, 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 I confess that I too oftentimes am a slave to my own appetites. I struggle with it. But I've learned that fasting helps to subdue that. Fasting produces a discipline in your life. Jeremiah or rather Ezekiel chapter 16, excuse me, verse 49 says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Here it is. Here was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. Pride, of course, is the root of all sin. And then a fullness of bread. We just have a hard time. We just like to eat and 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 eat. And then abundance of idleness. We just have all this time and and, and, we, and we wasted. I don't know of anybody that's ever said, you know what, I've got nothing to do. I think I'll go pray. I struggle with even my own children or sometimes a college student or, or a high school student that says, man, there's just nothing to do around here, you know. And we always have to be doing something and going somewhere and enjoying something and fulfilling, you know, our appetites with some sort of pleasure. And all the while, God says, well, could you take some of that time and... Set it aside for me. Number three, fasting and prayer will hold back the judgment of God. Talked about this last week. I don't know how, I don't know how much you understand or realize that, boy, it's, 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 uh, I don't know how much of what we say right now about our country is, is accurate. I mean, you have to really think about what you say right now. I mean, things like, you know, well, I, uh, I just hope our country hasn't gone too far. 
Listen, our country has gone too far. We've gone too far. The issue is not, is judgment coming? Judgment is here. The issue is, how bad will it get? Will it continue to rise? And will, will the, 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 uh, the, the, the anger and the wrath of God fall in our country without swiftly and without any, 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 any long-suffering? Will, will that happen? Or, or is it possible that, that God's people could humble themselves and pray and hold back the flood tides of judgment that are coming? Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5. I love the story of Jonah. You know the story of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. The people of Nineveh proclaimed a fast. These were the people who had gone far from God and Jonah was called to start a revival in Nineveh. Jonah ran from God, got swallowed by a whale and the rest is history. Without going into great details about Jonah, in Jonah chapter number 3 and verse number 10, I don't have this verse for the screen so I'm going to read it. It says that God saw their works they got a hold of God through their fasting and prayer. And they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said that he would do to them. And he didn't do it. He did it not. Wow. And I'm convinced today that that's America. And, and should America, should God repent of the evil that he will do to our country for what we're involved in as a nation? It'll only be because of God's people falling on their face in prayer and repentance and fasting. That's just where we're at in our country. We can't deny it. It's just where we're at. Number four, fasting and prayer stops the enemies of God. I believe we're in a a, a cosmic battle today, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3 and 4, that Jehoshaphat, who was a king... And the Bible speaks of Jehoshaphat and, 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 and he was facing some ungodly enemies that had come against him. And the Bible says he prayed and fasted. Notice here, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So this is what they did. And this is what I'm calling our church to. Calling us to come and pray and fast and seek the Lord. Well, I wonder what happened. Did it, did, did it go any good? Did it work? The Bible says in verse 29 of Second Chronicles chapter 20, the fear of God was on all the kingdom of those countries when they had learned, learned that the Lord fought against the enemy. Wow. It does work. Fasting and prayer does reach the heart of God. Fasting and prayer seeks guidance. I think so many want to know the will of God, not just for America, but for their families, for their finances, for their marriages. I talk to so many people who just want to know what to do, where to go. How do I handle this situation? What do I do? Have you tried fasting in prayer? Even before you, were, you, you, you would ask me or someone else what to do, have you tried fasting and prayer? The early church did. In Acts chapter 13 and verse number 2, they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, notice, after they prayed and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Paul and Barnabas, Paul, Barnabas and Saul, which is Paul, let's, let's, they are going to be called to the work to be evangelists, to go start missionary churches all over the known world at that time. 
Literally, the, the great missionary movement of the early church began with fasting and prayer. It's no different now. In order for us to see Champion Christian College produce pastors and teachers that would go out across this land as we have already seen on a very small basis and start churches and, and, and attempt to bring the gospel to this world, it's going to take fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer shatters strongholds. Celebrate Recovery calls these hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And these are things that have shackled the lives of people. And <clears throat> there's not one person in this room that, that, that doesn't deal with a stronghold in their lives. Every one of us do. We may not want to admit it. We may want to kind of excuse it as, well, it's not as bad as this or that or the other. But all of us have something that causes us to wander at times. And we struggle with this thing. And prayer and fasting is oftentimes what will shatter that stronghold. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 6, we see, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Here's why. This fast looses the bands of wickedness, undoes heavy burdens, and lets the oppressed go free and breaks every chain or every yoke. This is a fast. It will overcome and break those strongholds and shatter those strongholds. But this is a fast that requires serious concentration. Someone who is serious about what they're praying about, serious about what they're fasting about, to the point where they accept the challenge from a pastor who says, tomorrow, I'm calling us to a fast. I'm asking our congregation the day before this great election that is going to determine many, many things in our nation. And, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm calling our church to fast again prayer because I do believe that in addition to our election, there is a, a great need for the church to wake up and rise up and be the church. As Butch said, regardless of who wins the election, the church still has a great responsibility that it is falling incredibly short. I'm calling our church to prayer for our finances. I'm calling our church to to pray for God to continue to work in our, in, in our midst and do great things and, and start a revival right here in Hot Springs, Arkansas with the Church of Hot Springs, which doesn't just include us, but many other churches that right now are... Fee- and believe me, I go to that Thursday morning prayer meeting and if you think that I'm the only one talking like this, you're wrong. All of the pastors that come to that Thursday morning prayer meeting are echoing exactly how I feel. It's amazing. It's spooky. And I'm not spooky. But when guys are talking, whether they pastor River of Life or Hot Springs Baptist or First Baptist or, or Church of God or the Lutheran. I mean, we've got guys that preach the gospel that come together and all of us are saying the same thing. Our nation is desperate for revival and the church must wake up. Must wake up and be obedient. Even the finances are an issue in churches where they're saying, what do we do? How do we get people to get serious about this? We can't get the gospel out without funding it. And so there's so, much, there's so much going on right now that I'm excited about because I sense that, that there's an awakening. There, there's an awareness that's coming to the people of God. There's a choice that we can make. So tomorrow I will call us to serious prayer, and I'll give you more information about that in just a moment as I conclude. Number two, we are to pray with steadfast confidence. Steadfast confidence. Adrian Rogers used to say it like this. We need to glance at our problem and gaze at our God. Too many of us are gazing at our problem and glancing at God. 
We're giving God a little ritualistic prayer. You know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, one's the fastest, gets the most. <clears throat> and then we eat like animals. Three and four and five meals a day, you know. And we just eat, drink, and be merry. Sign of the end times, you know. We don't, we're, we're just, you know, oh yeah, I go to church. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I remember I go, I go most of the time, sometimes. Every now and then. We just kind of glance at God. We just give him a little kudo. But, 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 but wait a minute. Personally, I feel like we're probably gazing at Fox News way too much these days too. We're gazing at the news, gazing at the media, gazing at the internet, gazing at what's going to happen when we should be gazing at God. I mean, what we did this morning for 20 minutes, just worshiping God and crying out to God, your love never fails, never gives up. I mean, I'm wide awake, saved by grace, and all I, my heart is yours. All fear removed, I breathe you in. I mean, these, this is what God's people need to be doing. I'm convinced of it, and I'm preaching to myself. Believe me. Daniel's prayer is saturated with confidence. It's crazy. Start in verse number four, and again, I won't, for sake of time, I mean, you've got your small groups this week. Prayerfully, everyone's in a small group. If not, this is a good week to get in one because we're going to look at this passage, and it goes all the way, really, uh, you'll find there's, it's rich. It's very rich all the way down through verse 21. I don't have time, obviously, to do all of that. But, but notice in verse 4, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to him and to them that keep his commandment. Look at verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces. Verse, verse number 9. Uh, to the Lord our God belongs mercies and forgiveness. Notice the confidence that he prays with here. And then on in verse number 20 and 21, he talks about the evening oblation, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He looks back and he, he, he recognizes the fact that there is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And we can plead the blood in our prayers. We have the power of God. We can pray in that power and in the, in, the, in the name of Jesus, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Confidence. He even said to come boldly to the throne of grace. Steadfast confidence. Number three, we're to pray with sincere confession. Notice that Daniel confessed here both personal and national sin. Now, what's interesting here is Daniel confesses his sin. Hang on, wait a minute now. Let me make an observation because this is interesting in all of Scripture, we cannot find any recorded sin that Daniel committed. It's somewhat interesting because there's only one other person in all the Bible, obviously Jesus Christ, but one other person other than Jesus Christ who we don't see one recorded sin, and there's quite a bit said about him, and that's Joseph, Joseph and Daniel. That's it. But we know that Daniel was a sinner. The fact, Scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But here we find that Daniel confessed his sins and got right with God himself. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number four again, it says, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. He made his confession. He humbled himself and said, God, I have sinned against you. You see, we need to humble ourselves. I really believe that sometimes, if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, if, if our church isn't careful, we tend to point the finger at others. This is not finger-pointing time. 
It's not about pointing the finger at the Democrats, the Republicans, at, at Hillary, at Trump, at Bush, at Obama. This is not about pointing the, well, if they, or LFP, well, if they. No, 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 this is about you and me. Judgment begins at the house of God. And I feel like we get caught up in finger pointing as opposed to repentance of personal sin. That's important. All of us right now need to be thinking, God, show me what I need to change in my life. God, reveal to me the sins of, in my own personal life and family and the areas that I'm falling short in. Daniel began with that and then he prayed a prayer of, of, of national confession against the pride and materialism in their country, against the sexual immorality, against the neglect of the poor, against racism, against killing the unborn. All of those are sins against God in the Bible. Those aren't political issues, church. Those are Bible issues. And Daniel confesses sin, the sins of his nation. Number four, we are to pray with spiritual concern. What was Daniel's concern? I love this. This is awesome. Look at verse 17. It's incredible. This is the Bible. This is the word of the Lord. Look at verse 17 of Daniel 9. I'm going to read it like I think maybe Daniel said it. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Oh, my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open your eyes and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. Don't wait, God. For thine own sake. O oh my God. For hot springs. For gospel light. Do you see that there? For the city. For the people which are called by thy name. Wow. This was Daniel's prayer of spiritual concern for the Lord's sake. Not for his sake, not for the church's sake, not for his family's sake, not, not for the church's sake, but for God's sake. How many of us are praying, not my will, but thine be done? My will would be no persecution, but what if that's not God's will? My will would be a certain candidate, but what if that's not God's will? We need to pray, God, <laughs> our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God, we want what you want. For your sake, God, for your glory. Whew. Wow, this is powerful. And this is Daniel's prayer. I believe it's prayer time in America. It's time for Eric to pray. It's time for the deacons to pray. It's time for the elders to pray. It's time for the staff to pray. It's time for the members to pray. It's time for dads to pray and moms to pray and pastors to pray. It's time for the Methodists to pray and the Baptists to pray and the Lutherans to pray and the Catholics to pray. It's time to pray. Sometimes I've often wondered, just as I have a fear, 
I had a fear of preaching, you know, on giving and offending someone. I wonder, I have that same fear. I wonder what would happen if one Sunday morning I just called our church to pray for an hour and a half. I wonder if I get an email. Well, that's my last Sunday. Bless God, they're over there praying instead of preaching. What's going to save our nation is preaching. Listen, we got preachers all over this country preaching, and our nation's going to hell in a handbasket. We pray for five minutes or less, and we preach for 50 minutes or more, and nothing's happening. What would happen if I just called us to pray on a Sunday morning? What would happen? Would, would, you say, well, I'd be a little uncomfortable. We've just never done that. That's okay. Sometimes we're a little uncomfortable, but that's the only way to get comfortable with something is to be uncomfortable for a little bit. It's like faith. Faith requires a little doubt to get to have more faith. Courage requires fear. It's not the absence of fear. It's, courage is the power to overcome the fear. And so I know we may feel somewhat uncomfortable. Maybe the reason why you wouldn't come tomorrow night is because you know, I just, I'm afraid I'll have to pray. I'm afraid somebody would ask me something and I wouldn't know what to say. Trust me. Anybody that comes tomorrow can say, I'd rather not pray. I'm just, I'm just here. And we'll say, that's okay. You just, thanks for being here. Someone might say, I've never done this before. I don't really know what, I'm just here. I, I just, be patient with me. That's okay. Because tomorrow at five o'clock and I'll give you my explanation now, we'll start our prayer time and I'm sure that'll be the smallest crowd. I'm, I'm being optimistic about our crowd tomorrow night. But I think at 5 o'clock it's going to be tough for many to get here. But I'll be here all, all four hours. But I'll be here at 5 and, and we'll open up with some, with some worship at every hour. A couple of songs. Joe and Jordan. A couple of others will open us. And we'll start just crying out to God in worship. And after a few moments I'll come and either show a little video or give a short five-minute devotion or another elder will. And then we'll divide up into small groups and pray until 5.55. At 5.55, we'll close that hour down and take a 10-minute break for our bodies to recuperate, maybe use the restroom, get a drink of water, come back at 6.05. At 6.05, we'll start our second hour of prayer, and a few others may arrive, and some may leave. That's okay. We don't expect anybody to be able to stay all four hours. Maybe some, maybe not. But at 6.05, we'll start. We'll do the same thing, a little different, but the same thing. And then we'll end at 6.55 and take a 10-minute break, and we'll start at 7.05. Maybe that's when you can come. Maybe you can't come till 8.05, but every hour will have its own identity, its own personality, its own theme. Every hour we'll say, this is the hour we're praying for, and we'll, we'll focus on those things. It'll either be our church or, or our nation. It'll be our homes or our nation, I and mean, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it tight. That's what tomorrow night is like. Secondly, I'd like to ask you to consider fasting, at least a meal. I know maybe it's new to you, just like tithing and other things. This may be a little heavy for you right now, and I'm not asking you to, I mean, 24 hours is kind of scary, and I understand that if you've never fasted before. That's kind of a crazy thought, but maybe you could skip breakfast. Maybe you could say, you know, tomorrow I'm just going to skip lunch. I, I'm going to skip my biggest meal. Maybe tomorrow night I won't have dinner. Or maybe you could say, I'll eat Sunday night at 8, and then I'll eat Monday night at 8. I'll go the 24 hours. You pray about it. I just know this. I really believe that this serious prayer is going to require some sacrifice of our flesh. And if we come here full of ourselves, God's not going to be able to really truly hear the prayer 
of his servants. So I'm asking you to come humble, to come broken, to come. I'm not asking you to, I mean, it's not like you have to walk in here and wonder if it's going to be, you know, some kind of an unusual atmosphere. I'm not, I'm not trying to paint some, I'm just saying, I'm asking you to come tomorrow night when you come ready to go before God with serious concentration. Now, in closing, the Apostle James said it like this. It's in your notes. The effectual, fervent prayer. Well, let's go back up. Confess your faults, James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. That's interesting, isn't it? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Confess your faults one to another. Wow. I'm sorry, preacher. That's what that person did today when they gave me $3,000 worth of back tie. <laughs> That's pretty much confessing your fault. Here, sorry, I've been disobedient. And what do you think I did? Hallelujah. Man, thank you. I love you. God bless you. God's good. I'm glad the Lord's working on you, and he is me too. I've had to play back ties before. Yeah, the pastor. I've missed a week or two and had to come back and get things right. I've fallen prey to the, I need this. I don't have a perfect record, okay? Thank God for repentance, amen? So confess your faults, and then pray for one another that you may be healed because the effectual, fervent prayer of a... Now, here's the big issue, that next word, righteous. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Wait a minute now, before, before we get into this, let's understand the text of this verse is speaking about saved or not saved. Not perfect or not perfect, not better Christian, average Christian, medium Christian. No, no. Saved or lost. The effectual, fervent prayer of a saved man, of a righteous man, of a born-again man. Yes, church, you must be saved to have an effectual, fervent prayer. And so this morning, I cry out to those of you who may not be saved, may not be righteous, may not be right with God, born again. This is the day of salvation. And if you're not saved, listen, I want to encourage you today to get that taken care of. The effectual prayer. You say, no, wait a minute. Can I, can I become a righteous man like today? Yes. Today, you can have your sins cleaned Clean slate, forgiven, far as the east is from the west. It takes a long time to to be sanctified and and to grow in grace. It takes one sinner's prayer to get saved. (laughs) One. You can get saved in a moment of time by calling out to God today. If he's convicted you of your sin, if you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit drawing you this morning, you can be saved. Drawn out of God, he'll draw out of you. And so if you need to be saved this morning, I'd like to ask the pastors, just go ahead and come up now with their heads while they're looking at us. Just come on up, Doug and Jason and Butch and whoever else, and let's stand up here to pray. And I'm going to stand up here, and these are the pastors of our church. There's others, I'm sure, but these are few. And we're just going to be here for you if you need to be saved. What a great day to be saved. What a day to be saved. Today, 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 just come forward and just tell one of us, I need to be saved. I'm not a righteous man. I'm lost. Pray for me. Pray with me. What do I need to do? Come, come, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus this morning. Others, you're welcome to come and pray. I'm going to have a word of prayer before we stand. Father, I just ask you, God, right now to work in this place. Thank you for letting me get through this.